Well, we're on this journey along with other churches in America, really pursuing a, a high view of the real God. And so over these weeks, we began by talking about seeking God and how it is that God can be found, the real God. And in a day and age in which many people have formed their, a, a God in their own image, that, that God can be found, the true, real God can be found. And then we began this part of the journey, and that is we're looking at the different attributes of God. And so first week we looked at the goodness of God and that God uh, is, is good in all his ways. And then uh, we looked at the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over his creation. And then the next week we looked at the holiness of God, that there is an otherness, there is a separateness to God, and that is he is holy, he is totally perfect. And then last week, we looked at the wisdom of God, that we, the real God is an all-wise God who knows all of things that are actual and possible. And so today we're gonna to be looking at the justice of God. Now, when I think about life, there are a couple of questions that come up. And they come up whether they're with believers or unbelievers. And whether I would go to a mall or a school or to any place where people could work, maybe even uh, at a church, even if I'm talking to Christian leaders. Uh, I can be talking to people that are atheists. And they may ask these two questions. Here's the first question. First question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it? On Friday, a strong, believing Christian woman who has two children that are freshmen in high school, who believes strongly in Jesus Christ has cancer. We have a funeral and we're standing at a graveside and I'm looking at this young family. And I'm sure that over that battle of cancer, especially over the last year and a half, in her faith in Christ that was unwavering through every pain, people are like, man, that's so sad. Why does something so bad happen to somebody that believed in God, that was really, that, that, that was good. Some people asked that question this week. Why is it that in Thousand Oaks, out in California, people are line dancing, laughing and yucking it up, and some, some guy comes in and starts shooting, and 12 people are dead? Why is it that bad things happen to good people? Innocently. And people ask that question when it comes to hurricanes and natural disasters as well as evil. People with evil intention. God's justice is a serious subject. It is. I don't come here today acting like I understand it. 
I don't have my head around all the things about this real God. But it's a serious subject. Why does God allow painful things to happen? Now, here's the thing. We could just do an open microphone here this morning, too. We could just pass around the microphone here amongst us to here today. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? It seems like good people at my job, and they don't. Why do bad things happen to them? Which makes us think about the second question. Why do good things happen to bad people? And and a lot of people have a bigger problem with this question maybe than any other. Why is that? Why is it that seems like that evil triumphs? Why is it that even in the workplace, the greedy guy, the guy that has no thought for somebody else, seems to be getting ahead and I'm trying to do it the right way? Students, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be uh, faithful and honest and true. And the guy's cheating over there across the room and he's getting the same grade I am. Why are good things happening to bad people? It seems like, I think Tony Campalo is the one that said it. And I think this has to do with values as well. But it's, it seems like somebody switched the price tags. What happened? The Bible also addresses this in Psalm 73. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In Malachi 3.15, so now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Jeremiah 12.1, righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Do you hear the the heart here in Jeremiah. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. I mean, you see the writers of the Bible are kind of bringing this up. Why why are good things happening to bad people, Lord? Why was the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? I mean, even the writers of the Bible see this evident in the world And basically what we're saying and what the writers of the Bible are saying, they're saying this, God, are you seeing this? And here's the thing that's kind of underlying all of these these two questions. There's a bigger issue. And the real issue is that life is not fair. And the problem with bad things happening to good people is that it's not fair. And the problem with good things happening to bad people, it's not fair. And you don't have to be a rocket science scientist to say, it doesn't look like life is, life is fair. And the deeper question is this. In the big picture, in the big macro vision of all of this, that leads us to say, does this mean that God's not fair? And if God created life, and the real question is that, is God just? Does he judge rightly? So now, this is where it's important that we have a biblical worldview, and it helps us understand. And I'm not trying to be trivial or trite as I talk to you about these deep questions, 
But I do want you to know that the older I get, the more I see that having a biblical worldview is really important and it helps us understand life and the real God. You you look at, I put in your outline a picture. And if you look at it, you'll see over on the left, right over here on the left, that life with God in a perfect world, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, how God created, he said, be fruitful, multiply, everything was good. And then there is a parenthesis right there in Genesis 3, there is a rebellion, there's a coup, and sin enters the picture, and you see that the Bible, we see the fall, and you see the fall of man, and you see justice exacted when they get kicked out of the garden and we see all through the bible the wrestling and all the things that happen out of the fall all the way up to revelation 20 and 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 we see god is working with people in light of a fallen world and his redemptive plan and in chapter 20 you have another judgment and in it God takes the injustice and all the pain and all the bad things done to good people and all the good things done to bad people and he takes all the scales and he says that there's going to be a day that he will make everything right and he will judge rightly at the very end of all this. And so we have the right side of life with God in a perfect world will take place in the future. But here's the thing that's very important. You live inside the parentheses. That's where we are. We live inside the parentheses of all this. And and so the bigger for us as we think about life in the parentheses, of life in a fallen world, how can you depend on a God where life doesn't seem fair? How can we learn to think soberly and clearly and to think rightly? How do we live this life and worship the real God who is just in the midst of a fallen world? And that's what I wanna talk to you about today. First of all, we have to kind of define what justice looks like. And we get a few glimpses in the Bible and we see really what, how God shows us. And one of the, I just, a small survey is revealed the first time that we, we really see sort of a clear commentary from the Bible about this. One of the first places is, would be through Abraham. It was revealed through Abraham. Um, we would go directly to Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, and you probably know the story. Abraham is a man of God, and he is called by God, and he's going to be the father of a great nation. He's grown in every way. And so he says, here's the promises I am going to fulfill. And so uh, Lot goes in one direction and chooses this area because it looks good. And Abraham continues in another direction. And it's called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's called Sodom and Gomorrah for a good reason. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. And I mean, it's full of sin. And so because of the iniquity, it, it, the, the God determines he is going to judge it. He is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And so... Uh, realizing this, uh, 
as you know the story, what you find out is there's this very special meeting between God and Abraham. And Abraham, he, he lets him in on the plan that he has. And Abraham quickly does the math. And he says, if there are 50 righteous, and he says, if there are 45 righteous, if there are 40 righteous, he keeps narrowing it down. And he literally negotiates with God of heaven. And in the basis of that negotiation, uh, on verse 25, he says this, far be it from you to do such a thing. Abraham is speaking to God. Oh, Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, exclamation point. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Remember, Abraham does not have the Old Testament Pentateuch at this time. He does not have the law. He does not have the Bible to refer to. But listen to what just Abraham says, Lord, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you're like. Lord, surely you're a good judge. We learn that he sees the real God. Wait a second, I know you. I know what you're like. I know that there is evil in this city, but there is a pocket of people that I love and they are righteous and it would be unfair and unjust to do this. And and based on your character, I'm appealing to you. And then he goes through the negotiation until he gets it down to the number of people of Lot and his family and his life. And so... You hear this in Abraham. It's also uh, another place is Psalm 97, verse 2. Notice what it says. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I mean, if you just did a study, and this is just one scripture, uh, Psalm 97, verse 2. But you could look at Job chapter 8, verse 3. Job 40, verse 6. Psalm 11, 7. Psalm 45, verse 6, Isaiah 51, 6, Isaiah 30, 18, uh, Zephaniah 3, 5. I could go on and on. You could find many places where you would see that it's revealed through Scripture. And I want you to hear, the Old and the New Testament proclaim this truth. God is just, God is righteous, God is just, God is righteous, God is is fair, the foundation of his throne. A.W. Tozer says this, as we think about the justice of God, when you think about it. Justice embodies the idea of moral equity. Judgment is the application of equity to moral situations and may be favorable or unfavorable according to whether the one under examination has been equitable or inequitable in heart and in conduct. Put that in your outline of your notes. I would encourage you, justice is not something God processes. Listen, God is not uh, an external standard that says this is right, this is wrong. It is the very essence and the nature and the character of who he is. He is justice. He is moral law. And so we see God's justice So how does God, how do we know from God's word, how does God reveal his justice to us? 
If we know that God is the one who is just and his character is just, how does God reveal his justice to us? So inside the Bible, the fallen world, there are about three or four different ways that God has revealed to us how he is just. And the first one we find in Romans chapter one. And the first way he reveals his justice is through the natural order of things. Look at Romans chapter one, verse 18. And let me read it to you. It says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them that the real God can be known because God has made it plain to them For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that means his attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And he is saying here that in the creation, how God has made creation, his invisible attributes, not just his goodness and beauty, but but for us, there is some cause for uh, an effect in this relationship. In other words, um, we know just by being a part of creation, it is wrong to kill, uh, to take another man's wife. The rule may change amongst even cultures, but people have this internal sense of what ought to be. And in other words, just all around the world, there are, cultures that don't believe in God, but they know that this is right and this is wrong. There's something when I grew up, when I grew up, I used to hear this a lot. Um, Especially uh, from my dad would tell me this. He'd always say, uh, whatever goes around comes around. He'd always say, be careful. Whatever goes around comes around. Everything that goes around will come around. I say, what is that? Well, that is justice, isn't it? In Eastern religions, and it's become very popular to use that, people use a little phrase that includes the word karma. Justice. But you have people living their lives in a mindset that they have seen the created order based on what? sense of justice, that there is a sense you will pay for what you do. It comes around, it goes around, there's cause, there's effect, and so we see that. Also through the human heart. Again, just skip from Romans 1 to Romans 2, verse 15. And I put this as well. If you look, you can see that I, I, I put this in your outline, just the, the reference. But here's how it reads. Since they show that the requirements of the law, this idea of a standard, this sense of what ought to be, the sense that there is a moral right and a moral wrong. Since they showed that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ 
as my gospel declares. God has put in the human heart, in all of us, in the human heart, totally apart from scripture, a sense of what ought and what should be right or wrong. There's a conscience that bears witness to God's justice. There's also another way that he reveals it, and that is through his role as the judge. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Also 2 Timothy 4, 8, we see it. Do you see the logic here? That if we have it in our heart, and if there is in the whole world a sense of justice, here's the deal, this is what C.S. Lewis really said, and that is that if there is such a thing as justice, then there is a final judge who is behind all of this. His role as judge. And so we see what C.S. Lewis wrote. I put this quote in your outline. These then are two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way and they know the law of nature, they break it. And these two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. Hebrews 12, 23 says this, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. And so how is God described? The judge of all men to the spirit of righteous men made perfect. Paul writes in 2 Timothy to a younger Timothy. Now, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, how is the Lord described? The righteous judge. He's the righteous judge will reward me on that day. And not only me, but all those who have longed for his appearing. And when you, when you want to know the role of Jesus in this judgment, look at John chapter 5, verse 22. The following, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to his Son. Which leads me to another way that we know that God is just, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why when you walk in the room, you see a cross over here, and you see a cross over here. Because the cross is so important to us knowing the real God. And if you want to know about God's justice, we learn about justice through the cross. God reveals, you think, well, how does he reveal that to us? God reveals his justice in a fallen world through natural order and the human heart and through the idea that he is the judge, but most profoundly at the cross, at the cross. Look at Romans chapter 3. We're now in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And I want you to circle just a few words. For God presented him, that being Jesus, okay? As a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his great, his justice. Circle that. The problem of sin, by the way, was atonement or covered. So God did this to demonstrate or to make a picture or to make a point about something and that something is his justice. Because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice. Circle that. 
he did this to demonstrate his justice. You see, when we talk about our sins being forgiven and that we receive the free gift of the forgiveness of sin from Jesus Christ, it's important that we understand the justice of God because it's free to us, but it didn't come cheap. Justice was satisfied through the cross. It's important we know. It's free to us, but freedom isn't free. The same as when we talk about Veterans Day and we talk about all the people that have served and the hundreds and thousands of men and women who have sacrificed their lives in wars. And when I think about the people who have served, we talk in in terms of the nation because we have the freedom of democracy. We're not under a monarch or any other kind of thing, under tyranny, because God in his sovereignty used men and women way before we were ever born to serve and give us a freedom. But folks, I don't know, even on today, every time you hear somebody talk about Veterans Day, you have to realize that that freedom we have did not come cheaply. It wasn't free. That's why we as a country, we make a big deal out of Veterans Day. Well, this is also why we make a big deal out of the cross because justice was satisfied. We learn about the justice of God in the cross because we are forgiven. So many people look at that and they say, oh, that's cheap. You just get off for free. No, you don't. Jesus took on the death that I deserved. Jesus took on my sin. And it was only because he took on my sin, the perfect lamb of God that God provided through Jesus. It provided justice for me. The whole world knows there is sin. The whole world knows that the This whole thing is messed up. Justice has been provided. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Listen to what the word of God says. God once and for all has done what? What did God do? Because we all look at the world. Isn't that what everybody does? Excuse me, I'm not trying to be, like I'm just trying to, let's just be honest. Everybody's throwing God under the bus in our culture. That's what people want to do. They just glibly talk about this real God. Just, and they're always saying things about what God's done, what the word of God says. For God wants and for all, he has drawn us to himself, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God initiated it. God exacted justice. <clears throat> God provided Jesus. And so for many of us in this world, people don't want to acknowledge sin. And so we're over here saying, you need Jesus and you need Jesus. And so many people in the world are going, for what? It's just like in medical terms. There's always a symptom and then there's a diagnosis or a disease and then there's a cure. 
And we're over here shouting from the rooftops, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And people are like, for what? The truth is the symptom is sin. That's the symptom. The, the, the symptom, we have, the, the, I would go a little farther. The symptom is how everything's all messed up. I mean, everything's all messed up. The, the diagnosis is sin, the fallenness, the fall. The cure is Jesus. I shared this on Friday at the uh, funeral. A pastor whose wife had died was driving his young children to the funeral. And as he drove up, he came behind a tractor trailer. It was a snowy snowy day in mid-morning. And the sun was shining from the left and was casting a long shadow out on a snowy field beside him. And he looked back at his kids and he said, Hey, kids, which would you rather get hit by? Would you rather get hit by the truck or would you rather get hit by the shadow of this truck? And one of the younger kids were like, the shadow for sure. I mean, if you got hit by that truck, it would really hurt. And he said, don't ever forget this. Jesus got hit by the truck so your mom would just pass through the shadow. And that's a truth for us. God took the hit. Justice was provided for us. So we just pass through the shadow. It's better to be born twice and to die once than to die twice and only be born once. Justice was served. We also realize that from the word of God, we realize that we learn about justice through the promise of eternal retribution. That God will have the last say and that he's going to have the last say. And this is true for believers and unbelievers. I want you to look in this fallen world to see all this all this, I I want you to see the promise of eternal retribution in 1 Corinthians chapter three. So if you have your Bible, make sure you turn there. It's a very important passage that the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people. And he says this in verse 10. And he's talking to Christians. And he's saying to them, by the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Notice it is his work. It's not Jesus' work. It's his work. It's the one who's building and all the stuff that we build It's your work as a believer because we did it for ourselves. It's all of our motives. And then he says this, because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, God is going to judge our life. 
And at the very end of this, yes, we are saved. We spend eternity with the Lord. But this great Bema seat judgment, this one judgment before the Lord. And then there is also retribution for unbelievers, Hebrews 9, 27. And I know that maybe for many people, especially in our culture, talk about hell is very maybe even popular or hate speech. But I want to tell you it's love speech today. It was love speech when I was 16 years old and I was headed to hell. And a pastor loved me enough to tell me there's a better way. That God had paid a price. And that's the spirit in which I come to you today. But there is a promise in Hebrews 9.27. For it is appointed unto men and once to die. And after this, there will be judgment. People are afraid to talk about this. God so honors the dignity of people's choices. He has created a place where those who don't want to know him get the opportunity not to be around him forever. Now I know that so many times everybody, books are written, love wins. It's you know, just, every, we turn into a bunch of universalists that, we're all heading in the same place. And there are only two kinds of people in all the world. One group of people say to God, thy will be done. I want to be with you forever. And the second group of people to whom God says, thy will be done. You get what you, your way forever. So how do you respond? How do you respond to the justice of God? If God is going to judge all of this, the first thing, and it's my plea to you today, choose to embrace Jesus as your Savior rather than meet him as your righteous judge. Choose that. Choose to embrace Jesus today as your Savior rather to meet him someday at the, at the end of your life as the righteous judge. He will judge you. He will judge me. So meet him as your savior today instead of your judge later. Secondly, refuse to take revenge when treated unjustly, knowing God and God alone is the judge. Life isn't fair and you live in a fallen world and what you wanna do is you wanna be the judge. I know I do. I, I have a lot of opinions. You know what I'm saying? Um, this guy at church said that. She did this and all that. We want to just sit around and talk about it. But the Bible gives us clear wisdom and, and direction. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful. Do what is right. In the sight of the Lord. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Romans 12, verses 17 through 20. I just want to encourage you today do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the third thing. 
Ponder your time and your talent and your treasure in view of the judgment seat of Christ and the injustices of our world. Think about appearing before the Lord. Are you ready for this? What's your P&L gonna look like? Your profit and loss. Profits and losses. My devotion, my heart for God, my money. What does it reflect? My time, what does it reflect? Spiritual, ministry, spiritual gifts and ministry. What am I doing to steward that? So I wanna encourage you to ponder that. And so we consider the justice of God. Some of you may have never received Christ and you, you wanna do that today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is moving you. I wanna invite you to do that this morning. We're gonna remember the Lord and the great justice of God that God's provided today. So we're gonna take a moment to have communion. I'm gonna ask Luke and Tiffany, if you guys would, to come over to the cross. If you need to pray with somebody right now and you wanna give your life to the Lord, they'll be over there, I'll be over there as well. If you wanna spend some time with God. And then the worship team is gonna prepare our hearts for, for communion, to take communion. The usher's gonna pass out communion and the elements. And, and as you hold that today, and as you hold communion today, uh, you're holding the bread and the cup, which is the body of Christ and the blood of the new covenant, which is the justice of God for your sins. I'm gonna pray right now. If you need to pray with, with someone, we're down here. If you want to take some time, maybe you'd like to come to the altar even in this time of communion. I want there to be a freedom, but I also want us to focus on Jesus. And then we'll take the elements together, hold it. Father, today, I thank you for your word that you didn't leave us alone. I also thank you, God, that you did not give us what we have deserved, but because of your goodness and because you are the great God who receives, should receive all glory and honor. Lord, you intervened and made a way for us. Lord, today we acknowledge that you are just. Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us through the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the body and the blood. And today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know the forgiveness of sin and the justice that you exacted on Jesus, but the grace you give to us freely because of the price that was paid for us. Lord, help us to remember that and to know that today. In Jesus' name, amen.